Welcome to the Counter Vortex with your ranter, Bill Weinberg, ranting at you in the wee hours of February 24th, 2024, exactly two years, I will note, from the start of the massive Russian invasion of Ukraine. As always, I am ranting from my apartment on Manhattan's Lower East Side, which fortunately, unlike Kharkiv, and Gaza, is not under aerial bombardment. I want to go over some slightly obscure news stories you may have missed that I blogged up this week, all concerning fighters for free speech who paid with their freedom and, in some cases, their lives for their work getting out the truth. We're going to start in Burma, still ruled by a military junta, now more than three years after the coup d'etat of February 1st, 2021. The New York-based Committee to Protect Journalists on February 16th, last Friday, called for the Burmese military government to investigate the killing of journalist Miat Thu Tan and prosecute the perpetrators. The journalist's remains were found buried in a bomb shelter at a military camp in the town of Marak-U in Rakhine State. The body, bearing signs of torture, was discovered along with those of six other political detainees after the camp was overrun February 5th by the insurgent Arakan Army, one of the rebel armies of the pro-democratic resistance in Burma, it was determined that he had been shot and killed on January 31st. Since September 2022, the Burmese authorities had held Miat Thutan in pre-trial detention At the time of his death, he had not been tried or convicted of any offense, so an extrajudicial execution. Authorities charged that he had disseminated defamatory material, quote-unquote, on social media in violation of Section 505A of the Burmese Penal Code. According to Human Rights Watch, the offense is used to target those speaking critically of the military following the coup of 2021. Miat Thutan had reported for Democratic Voice of Burma, an independent online news source advocating for reform and human rights. Said Sean Crispin, senior Southeast Asia representative at the Committee to Protect Journalists, quote, a culture of impunity has taken deep root in Myanmar, Burma, since the 2021 democracy-suspending coup. The junta must stop killing and start protecting journalists, end quote. Okay, moving on now to the struggle in Karakal, Pakistan. I'm sure you all know about Karakal, Pakistan, right? Well, if not, you're about to get up to speed. Police in Almaty, Kazakhstan, on February 15th, 
last Thursday, detained Akhil Bek Moratbai, an activist who has been working to raise international awareness about the bloody crackdown on a mass protest in July 2022 in his native Karakal, Pakistan, an autonomous region of western Uzbekistan. It is feared that Kazakh authorities intend to deport him to Uzbekistan, where he could face a severe prison sentence. There are other such cases currently pending. In October 2022, Kazakh authorities detained four Karakalpak activists at the behest of authorities in Tashkent, the Uzbek capital. All four stand accused by Uzbek authorities of seeking to undermine constitutional order in the country. Human Rights Watch has issued a statement urging Kazakh authorities not to extradite them. These arrests took place in the wake of the unrest that rocked the capital of Karakalpakstan, Nukus, and nearby towns and villages in the early days of that July 2022. Spontaneous protests broke out against planned changes to Uzbekistan's constitution that would have abrogated some of the region's autonomous powers. The central government responded to the protest by mobilizing National Guard troops. At least 21 people, including four members of the security forces, were killed in the ensuing violence. While it was demonstrators that suffered the largest share of the fatalities by far, it was protest leaders that incurred the penalties. Surprise, surprise. The most prominent among them, Dolet Marat Tazi Moratov, a Karakalpak attorney, was sentenced to 16 years in prison on charges of sowing unrest and advocating the secession of Karakalpakstan. Moratbai has assiduously followed and documented the trial of Tazi Moratov and other Karakalpak activists, and he's notable for being one of the few Karakalpak voices to communicate on social media in English, greatly extending the reach of his message, although his case has nonetheless received very little international coverage. The only real write-up I could find was on EurasiaNet, affiliated with Columbia University's Harriman Institute. Okay, some background on what this is all about. This is another conflict rooted in Soviet-era map-making. When the Soviet bureaucrats were dividing up Central Asia, they gave Karakalpakstan to Uzbekistan, despite the fact that the Karakalpaks are linguistically and ethnically closer to the Kazakhs, although distinct from both the Uzbeks and the Kazakhs. They were given a Karakalpak autonomous oblast within the Uzbekistan Soviet Socialist Republic, and upon Uzbekistan's independence from the USSR in 1991, 
Karakal Pakistan initially declared its own independence from Uzbekistan, but was lured back into Uzbekistan as an autonomous republic with a constitutionally guaranteed right to hold a binding referendum on secession in the future. And now, Uzbekistan's leaders have proposed changing the constitution to eliminate this right. Such an obviously counterproductive thing to do. Obviously, if you tell them they can't secede, that's just going to inflame demands for secession. The good news is that after the uprising in July 2022, the government withdrew this proposed constitutional reform. So that's good. But the repression, it seems, continues. And it appears that unrest in the region is being fueled by water shortages and ecological devastation related to the dramatic shrinking of the Aral Sea, which is um, in northern Karakal, Pakistan, and is now almost entirely gone, actually straddling northern Karakal, Pakistan, and southern Kazakhstan, immediately to the north, but it's just, just a sliver of it is left. It's just terrifying how almost entirely the Aral Sea has just disappeared, evaporated over the past generation or so. Okay, now moving on to another aridifying part of the world, the African region of the Sahel, and particularly the country of Burkina Faso. Now, like Burma, under a military junta following a coup d'etat. This is a case that I think we've noted before on the podcast, but I'm going to cover it again because it continues to demand attention. Regional NGO Alliance, the People's Coalition for the Sahel, back in December issued an urgent statement demanding the immediate return alive of human rights defender Dauda Diallo, Secretary General of Burkina Faso's Collective Against Impunity and Stigmatization of Communities, CISC. The CISC announced December 3rd, 2023, that shortly after Diallo left the passport office in the capital Ouagadougou that afternoon, he was abducted by four unidentified men in civilian clothes. Diallo's CISC has been raising the alarm about ethnically targeted killings in Burkina Faso under the military regimes that have been in power since the January 2022 coup d'etat. The current ruling military junta has been carrying out a massive requisition of citizens. Those on the requisition list are forcibly mobilized to take part in government security operations pursuant to a mobilization decree issued last year. Those on the list have included journalists and opposition figures. In September of last year, Aruna Lore, 
a former member of the Transitional Legislative Assembly was taken by authorities. His current whereabouts remain unknown. Abuses have also been carried out by a paramilitary network known as the Volunteers for the Defense of the Homeland, VDP, by its French acronym, formed in response to an armed insurgency linked to the so-called Islamic State and other jihadist formations, members of the Fulani ethnic group are being stigmatized as terrorists and targeted by the VDP, according to the Allos group, the CISC. The CISC has called for Meta, Facebook, and X, Twitter, to reinforce their vigilance against hate speech and block violent discourse that contributes to polarization in Burkina Faso and the Sahel. Okay, this write-up that I've been reading from was from December, and the current whereabouts of Dauda Diallo remain unknown. Yet neither the mainstream media nor progressives in the West pay heed to these cases, while the creepy and highly problematic, to be polite, Julian Assange is a cause celeb, with his extradition appeal hearing in a London court this week, making global headlines and winning protests on his behalf all over the world. So, I want to know, in the immortal words of KRS-One, why is that? And I submit that there is an element of racism involved in the fact that we all know the name of the great white savior, Julian Assange, and it is only fanatics like me who have even heard of Miat Thutan, Akilbek Moratbay, and Dauda Diallo. And this despite the fact that, as far as I can see, Miat Thutan, Akilbek Moratbay, and Dauda Diallo have pristine politics fighting for human rights, democracy, and in the case of Maratbai, regional autonomy for a marginalized people, whereas Julian Assange is very politically compromised, shall we say, basically a de facto or de jure, not sure which, agent of the Kremlin, serving the ultra-reactionary global ambitions of Vladimir Putin. And again, just because you don't know about this doesn't mean that it isn't true. If you wish to be informed, I direct you to our podcast of April 14, 2019, when the U.S. first demanded his extradition, entitled Julian Assange, Agent of Fascism which documents the ugly far-right politics of Assange and WikiLeaks, and how the 2010 document dump risked the lives of dissidents under authoritarian regimes in places like Zimbabwe, and may have constituted outright collaboration 
with the repressive dictatorship of Alexander Lukashenko in Belarus. WikiLeaks has outed gay men in Saudi Arabia, at least one of whom was subsequently arrested, and an objective reading of the circumstances around the 2016 WikiLeaks dump of Democratic Party emails reveals Assange as a Kremlin asset and Trump collaborator, an active agent in the Russian lubricated effort to throw that year's U.S. election. And let's not forget that the reason he's in jail in England has nothing to do with the charges against him in the U.S. He's in jail on a bail violation originating in efforts to have him extradited to Sweden to face rape charges. And I'm really tired of this notion, either that he's a journalist, which he assuredly is not, or that the only thing that's at issue here is WikiLeaks' exposure of U.S. war crimes in Iraq, which concerns one or two of the many thousands of documents that WikiLeaks released in 2010. Now, I also note that the American Civil Liberties Union and the Committee to Protect Journalists have issued statements warning that the extradition of Assange could pose a threat to press freedom. So, I'm not saying that I support his extradition, or even that I don't oppose his extradition. I guess I do oppose it, but I am saying that even if we must protest his extradition, we should do so with no illusions, and while refraining from glorifying him. And I'm also saying that I am personally way more concerned with the cases of Miat Futan, Akilbek Muratbai, and Dauda Diallo. I say justice for Miat Futan. No to the extradition of Akilbek Moratbai and demand the immediate return alive of Dauda Diallo. You can read all about these cases on the Counter Vortex website, and we will be back with updates, so stay tuned. This has been Bill Weinberg with the Counter Vortex. Check us out online at countervortex.org. Please support us on Patreon. Just a dollar or two per week will really make a big difference to us in helping to sustain this project. Patreon.com slash CounterVortex. Join the CounterVortex. Join the resistance and rant on you next time.